Um, I'm Jackie Seatsma, and I told my co-presenter, Deb Hookwater, who's uh, from Bethany Christian Services, if we get 10 people, we'll be happy because we're at the end of, of the afternoon, and it's kind of a niche topic. So um, thank you for, for coming here. We can kind of keep it kind of casual. So if you have questions as we go, um, feel free to raise your hand. And I'm going to start by kind of sharing the story of our school, uh, Hudsonville Christian, when we sponsored a refugee family. And then Deb is going to pop in with uh, the facts and the figures and uh, more of the process. And then I'll give you some um, curriculum connections, which is on this handout at the end. There's my talk. Um, it all starts with um, how God used a sixth grader to really change my life. And I share this story with the sixth graders that come into my room each year. Um, our school has two separate buildings, so the sixth graders were not part of this. This was four years ago when we sponsored a family. And I share this verse, 1 Timothy 4, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life, in love and faith and in purity. And I talk about, you know, the kids, how they can live this out. But then I share that a sixth grader set this example for me, and God used that sixth grader to develop in me a heart for justice and a heart for justice for the refugees. Because I didn't really know much about it before. I didn't really care because I didn't know. And um, through a sixth grader, listening to the Holy Spirit's prompting, my life's been changed and my life's been blessed. And Brady is the girl in the white sweatshirt, and I, I, I have her sister this year, so I told her I was going to share the story, and she was so excited, um, and she gave me permission to use this picture. But she heard about the refugee crisis at church in Syria, and she heard about it from her pastor. She wanted to do something. She came to school, and she said, you know, let's collect things to send to these poor refugees. And isn't that kind of often how our, our service projects are? Let's collect food, let's collect items, let's send them off to somebody. And we talked about that a little bit. She went to the principal. The principal kind of referred her to me because I was her social studies teacher. And we got connected with Deb at Bethany Christian Services. And we talked about maybe we can sponsor a refugee family, not just collect items. And isn't that what we want our best service projects to be, a relationship? This was an opportunity for us to have a relationship and to learn about another culture. So Brady um, presented uh, her ideas to the student leaders, and they agreed, and we were going to take this on as a middle school at Hudsonville Christian. The whole middle school is going to be involved in this. And then Deb came and spoke at chapel and told us about what a refugee was, what this um, sponsorship would be like. It's a six-month commitment. What would be our role in that? And they had to learn what a refugee was first, so some education. And a refugee is someone who has fled from his or her home country and cannot return because of a well-founded fear of persecution based on religion, race, nationality, political opinion, or membership in a particular social group. And our first item of business was to collect items. And um, Bethany Christian Services has a whole list of a welcome pack, and that is um, on there. It's in the CA handout links if you um, want to see. But it's everything you need for a house, everything you need to set up. So beds, blankets, kitchen items, um, toiletry items, pots and pans. You know, think about they're leaving 
with just a few suitcases. They don't. They can't take all that along. So for our um, Thanksgiving and our Christmas projects for that year, for the giving projects, it was to collect these items. And each grade level had a different set of rooms. And it was just exciting to see the collection grow. Um, we had a lot of furniture we collected. Uh, we had this on stage uh, for chapel. This is like right before it went out. But the pile grew and grew. And um, you might as well learn from our mistakes. If you do this, have people leave their furniture at home. Because it took a few months, and you know schools don't have much storage space. So we had this, this pile of used furniture around for a while. But if they could keep it at home, it would be um, more helpful. So while this was going on, we were praying for this family. You can kind of see the, the bulletin board in the background. Um, I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And we didn't know the names of this family yet. And that was one of the hardest things for me. Um, I like to control things. Teachers often like to have everything in control. And we didn't know their names. We didn't know what country they were coming from. We were just being open to that call to welcome a, a family in and help them into our country. Um, I remember parents would say, oh, I want to give clothes. You know, what are the sizes of your family? Well, we don't know. <laughs> I was trying, driving Deb crazy with questions. Can't you just tell us the, the sizes of the family? Um, so that was hard for us, but we just had to put it in God's hand. And I think our kids really learned the power of prayer because we just kept praying for this family. God, you have this family picked out for us. Um, we're going to find out about them soon. They, you already know, though, who they are. Um, one thing you'll want to do if you decide to go this route, uh, talk to your school board early on the question of would our school be comfortable um, with a Muslim family? Would we agree as a school community to take in a Muslim family? Um, we had not talked about that, and so when Deb contacted me in December with a match, I was like, well, I don't know if we would accept a Muslim family. I can't make that decision. And by the time um, the school board had met and the school board agreed that it would be okay, then that family was already matched up with someone. It's about a two-week turnaround by the time Deb gets the names and they arrive um, in the airport. So if you want to pursue... Um, Sponsoring a family, you know, think about that early. Have that discussion with your school board early. So, finally in February, we got our match, and um, we had to find housing. And housing, uh, where we are in the Grand Rapids, West Michigan area, is pretty tight. And I think I again was driving Deb crazy with emails. They're coming in three days. Where are they going to live? And she's like, I've seen this before. God will provide a way. It'll be all right. And I remember she said, we're meeting on this duplex that we found in Holland with the landlord. You know, at 1030, 11 o'clock, whatever it was. And I found this picture on Zillow of the blue duplex and put it up. And my homeroom just prayed over that. You know, just we hope God answers this prayer that they can live in this this uh, duplex and then they kept asking me throughout the morning did you hear yet did you hear that from that lady did she know you yet and finally i got the connection that they were able to live there and the kids cheered they really saw the power of their prayers um, being answered by god so they were coming in three days next part is setting up the house and we took all the items um, bethany did bring a big uh, truck there that you saw and had about 25 kids, parents, teachers, um, actually moving the items into the home. And that was so exciting that finally we were going to be able to set up this home. And all the donations, the bedrooms, making the beds, um, 
our family was a single mom with five kids. Um, Deb tried to set us up with kids that our students could connect with and filled the drawers, kind of estimated on the sizes of the clothes, filled the closets, um, set it up, and, and just tried to make it feel like home for them. This was all donated items from our, our school community. And what I like best about that whole process, and I took those pictures and, and shared with the, the other students that weren't there, our kids were living out Matthew 25. You know, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. We actually put the food in their cupboards and the food in their refrigerator. Um, I was, I needed clothes and you clothed me. We put the clothes in the dressers and in the closets. Um, I was a stranger and you invited me in. And we were doing all those things to invite them um, into our country. And this is one of our sixth grade Bible memory pieces, but it was just so cool to see kids put that into action. And then we actually went to the airport and welcomed them. Um, they were delayed a little bit because it was February in Michigan and there was a snowstorm. So originally they were coming during the day and we had a busload of 50 kids that were going to go welcome them. Um, but they ended up coming at night and these kids came and that girl in the middle going like this, that's Brady. That's the girl that, that got it all started. And for her to see um, God work through her um, listening in obedience to God's voice that this family would come. It was so exciting to just hear her perspective. And there's our family, and, and they have agreed to share their this story with you. Um, Flora, the mom, and uh, the kids, and poor little Teju, he'd been traveling um, for days and days. Um, they were in Israel at that time, so they'd been traveling for a while. And there's a portion of our welcome team with, with the family, and Tejuk's crashed out tired, their first vision of snow. It was just so exciting for our kids to see um, America through their eyes and to think about it from a different perspective. Hey, this kid has never seen snow, and here they are coming in, the, in a blizzard in Michigan. Um, Deb took them to chapel uh, a couple days after that and um, just kind of thanked the school for them, and we cheered, and uh, the chapel was on the power of prayer. And we definitely could see that power of prayer. So there's our precious family that we got to, to build a relationship with. Um, Flora and Bruno and Josephine and Jado and Tejuk and Kalmau. And uh, we were just so blessed to get to know them. And these are all against our, our school's bricks there. So whenever I see them, I just think, oh, those are the kids. The kids that we got to know. And there is a news clip I want to show you. And just kind of listen to the kids' perspective. I can get it all to work. That's on. Right. 24-hour news page, Coco McAvoy spoke with the students who spearheaded the initiative and the family who just recently settled here in West Michigan. And Coco joins us live in studio. Good evening. The theme at Hudsonville Christian Middle School is Difference Makers. So when Brayden Dykstra heard her pastor talk about the refugee crisis in Syria, she was inspired to help and wanted to make a difference in a refugee family's life. In your everyday sixth grade language arts and social studies class, you'll see the walls covered in colorful banners, books and supplies scattered across desks, and young, malleable minds ready to learn. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's always the unexpected, and that's what came from 12-year-old Brayden Dykstra. <laughs> 
She's bashful, yet sharp, and decided on her own that she wanted to help a refugee family resettle in West Michigan. I really wanted to help a family out because I didn't want a lot of them to get hurt or anything. She went to her school principal, and the entire school got involved, hosting fundraisers to raise thousands of dollars and collecting furniture and supplies. And we all lift the furniture and put it into their house and boxes of supplies so they can like, feel welcome into their home. That home in Holland now belongs to the Mayons. They're a family of six from South Sudan who moved here three weeks ago. And through an interpreter, the mother of the family said they now feel safe. Now they're taking us step by step and they're getting used to it. The children started school this week and are now learning to adjust to all things West Michigan as they begin their new life. She hopes her children one day will grow up and respect them and respect the way of life here and try to teach it to generations to follow. And the students at Hudsonville Christian Middle School have learned invaluable lessons from the family too. I've learned to never give up. And to never doubt that difference is a very real concept that can even be accomplished by some of our youngest minds. The class has raised $2,200 so far, and the students say they have visited the Mayom family each week to help them learn English and make sure they have a smooth transition to West Michigan. Just an incredible group of students. I mean, a girl saying she wants to be a missionary and help families as she gets older, just what an effort. That's so, you know, that was my classroom. You notice I was always behind the camera. I didn't want to be in front of the camera. I wanted to be about the kids. Ultimately, they wanted it to be about God, but they cut out all the God references we had in our, in our little blips. Um, that kind of shows you, though, from the kids' perspective, just the excitement that they had. And um, at the end there, Grace said, um, I've learned never to give up. And on one side, to never give up on thinking that kids can make a difference. These are sixth graders that got this started, that listened to God's um, prompting and spearheaded it. That was what was so exciting for me. And then secondly, to learn from this family to never give up. And um, we talked about that a lot. What can we learn um, from this family? And we really learned about their bravery and their resilience. And Flora, she didn't know English. But she was going to get her family here um, to America, to a new culture that she never, you know, has lived in. And snow, that was, that was hard for them to get used to. Uh, I went to Kendra Burkheis' um, one o'clock session about being neighbors, and she challenged um, us in one of her five points to help our students learn from the perspective of others. And this project really helped our kids learn um, from the perspective of others. Um, we would take them... Um, once a week after school to their house to, to interact with them and help them with English. Um, so it wasn't just a one-time thing. It was an ongoing relationship. And another thing we really focused on is God's got a plan. And he used uh, you guys, you sixth grade students, to fulfill this plan. But also he had a plan for them to live in Holland. We're in Hudsonville. That's half an hour away. Um, Bethany's um, good uh, practices for them to live on a bus route, and there's no buses in Hudsonville. So they lived in Holland. Um, they couldn't attend our school, obviously. If, if you lived in an urban area and could have the family attend your school, that would even be a richer experience. But um, we could still go and play with them at the park, 
Um, Bruno here could walk to this ESL class at night. It was two blocks from their house. It was literally just around the corner. So he, within two weeks, was going to English class. Um, three blocks away was the Boys and Girls Club that was able to get the kids connected. Um, with the community. So even though we would have loved to have them live in Hudsonville, God had a plan for them to live in Holland right where he placed them. And they still live in Holland to this day. And then as different milestones took place, um, I would always take pictures and, and share with my students. Um, this is Bruno's first paycheck, and he had a, a job at a restaurant that he could walk to because he lived in more of an urban area. Um, we did a lot in the summer, my husband and I. Took him fishing the littles, um, took him camping. Uh, as the summer wore on, it became more Jackie Seatsma helping this refugee family because students during school weren't um, as able to help. It was a few families and, and their kids, but I was richly blessed, and I, my life has been enriched by knowing this family. Um, a, a family from school donated a van, and Bruno got his driver's license, so they got to be more and more independent, and, and Deb will give you more details, but the, the goal is a six-month relationship, a six-month relationship to get them to independence. And we celebrated in the fall, and Deb came and um, kind of did a, kind of like a graduation ceremony um, to celebrate the end of our official sponsorship. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Deb, to talk about the, the Bethany side of it, and then we'll ask for questions at the end, and you're just going to push this button. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for being here and for your interest in learning about this. Um, I, I really was surprised that anyone came because I know in the news it looks like refugees aren't coming anyway, so why would you learn how to help them? Um, we know that they will come. Um, I'll tell you about the numbers in a minute, but um, we actually are quite busy in Grand Rapids receiving refugees, especially the Congolese people. So. Um, we do need the help. Uh, usually we work with churches, but we have on occasion work with school. And this was such a positive experience for our staff as well. To watch kids get excited about something like this um, was just, it was, uh, it did our hearts good to know that the future generation cares about this kind of thing. Um, and they just have an excitement that, you know, maybe some other retired folks in the churches we work with are lacking. But, so it was really fun for our staff too, to work with uh, the school. I thought it was super cool that Hudsonville Christian School um, learned of this interest of their students and grew it and developed a curriculum around it and used that passion. They probably had other curriculum planned for those few months, but they tailored this. Um, they were flexible enough to see the interest in their school, the passion, and to work with the students. I thought that was a super cool thing. So thank you, Jackie. Um, Mary Rooney was super supportive. The whole staff was super supportive. So I usually, like I said, work with churches. Um, so I apologize if I revert back to church lingo, but I'm sure you'll understand and, and can interpret. Um, the big number, 70 million displaced people in the world today. Of course, more, more the most in history. The thing that I have to point out is not all of these 70 million are refugees. Roughly a third are refugees. Um, most Displaced people are IDPs, internally displaced, meaning they have not crossed a border. A lot of those are Syrians. They are still in their country of origin. Um, they are displaced from their home, but they are still in their home country. They are not refugees. They're IDPs. Um, 
another migrants, people who choose to leave, that's the difference. The word refugee is used more loosely than it's actually defined. And so, you know, when I go and make these presentations, we talk about these different things. The, the definition of the word is important that Jackie um, had up there, the um, forced to flee due to persecution for those five reasons. They must prove that as they meet with UNHCR, that they do qualify as refugee status, and that makes them eligible for third country resettlement. Um, asylum seekers, they seek, to, they seek um, paperwork once they come. Refugees get it before they come. This is the, the number one player, um, United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, UNHCR. They were established by the United Nations General Assembly in 1950, and they are in charge of protection of refugees. So they are the first player. When a refugee flees their country, they're usually met at the nearest border by UNHCR. It's there where they're provided often a tarp and some sticks and said, make yourself a home. Um, and they're very primitive homes, but at least they have some protection. They get food rations um, weekly. So that is the role of the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugee, or UNHCR. Then they can apply. Once they have that refugee status by UNHCR, then they have the option of applying for third country settlement. Um, and the, the reason they can apply is because every fall, whoever's in the office of president picks a number. It's called the presidential determination. Um, when I started almost 12 years ago, the number was 70,000. I had no idea 70,000 refugees were coming into our country that fiscal year. I thought just a handful. Um, so it was 70 for a while, it went up under President Obama to 110. This fiscal year it fell all the way to 30,000, and now it's proposed this next fiscal year at 18,000, which is of course the lowest number in history, um, as the population of refugees increased 50% over the last five years as this is. Um, right now there's a moratorium on arrivals, while the President meets with members of Congress to approve that 18,000. We are praying and advocating that that number does go up after consultation, consultation with Congress. So we are hoping that people will advocate for a higher number. We have clients that are calling us daily saying, where's my family? You told me my family was coming. We had many people deleted um, over this moratorium. There's gotta be a moratorium of arrivals while the president decides. Many families were deleted. Actually, we just had one deleted. We had a church set up a beautiful home um, already, and uh, that family was supposed to come in Tuesday night. Was that last night? No, two, two, two nights ago. ago. Yeah. And then they got deleted. So there's this beautiful home ready and waiting. Um, so it's been a very difficult time for us, but families are coming, and we are hopeful that they will continue to come. We just know we're not going to be as busy as we have the last few years. This is the number, this is the, the chart, it's a little fuzzy and I apologize, but you can see how the presidential determination uh, in 1980 is when the Refugee Act was created and there were 200,000 refugees come that year. That's the highest in history um, and that, uh, that was President Ford that signed the presidential determination of 200,000 people and that has not been met since. These are the players. I'll go over this real This is a lot of words. I know my PowerPoint's not near as fun as Jackie's with all the cute kids and the excitement. But Department of Homeland Security is in charge. You can see that first security. Um, USCIS. USCIS does a lot of the screening. I do have a few handouts that are online. 
of the security process. It's a 14-step process. It takes about two years. So once a family has their refugee card that they've reached that status and they start to apply for third country resettlement, it takes about two years. If they miss an appointment, if they have a baby or change the family makeup at all, um, or anything changes, they have to start all over. So it's a very difficult process to get here. If all goes well, they'll get here in two years. So this family that was deleted Tuesday night, unfortunately, it was a family of seven, from, originally from Congo, coming from a camp in Rwanda. Um, we looked it up, and it looks like we're trying to confirm that their documents actually expire this month. So unless they're quickly rebooked, it'll be at least two years before they can come again. Um, they have a brother in Grand Rapids that's devastated that they were deleted. So it's not a fun job to call these relatives and say, sorry, your brother and his family are not coming. In the middle, State Department, Bureau for uh, P PMR, Population, Refugees, and Migration, they get involved. They send a family that's been approved by the State Department to one of nine national voluntary agencies um, that do resettlement. One of them is World Relief. I think that's the most widely known. Another is Church World Service. That's one of the nine. Bethany is an affiliate of Church World Service. So those nine national agencies meet weekly for allocations, divvy up the recently approved families, and that's how we get our families and our office. Um, and then the transition that happens when they're here. Employment services, ESL training, medical screening, all that kind of stuff is done once they get here. They're coming from these countries, as I mentioned before, DRC, much higher number um, than the rest. Burma is our second biggest population right now. This is a, a typical picture of a refugee camp. Very crowded, very primitive. Um, I was able to go visit one. That's me in this photo. This is a um, Gehembe camp in Rwanda. And you can see these are the schools and the medical um, buildings. Their houses are more look more like huts. It's easy to tell who's new and who has been there a while because UNHCR hands out those tarps I mentioned. If you can still read it on the roof, that's a newcomer. If it's been covered by mud, those are people who've been there a while. So it's easy to tell who just arrived at the camp and who's been there a few years. Um, this is one of those little homes. You can see that, I hope you can see the two corners there. That's how narrow it is, the size of a cot. Um, it's about that same length. Um, six people live in this home. Grandma gets the cot, which I love. Grandma should always get the bed. And the others sleep on the floor. So very small, no windows. This happened to be an artist, this grandmother. So she painted all over the walls like that. And this was her kitchen on the other side of the little hut. So they cook over an open flame. So they come here and they have to learn how to cook with a stove. And maybe not the kind of stove. I mean, there's so many different kinds of appliances that they have to learn. So that kind of is um, the reality of how much they have to learn, this picture shows, I think. When I was there, it was wood distribution day. And there was a line for at least a mile um, behind these trucks that came in with woods. They had to get all their wood for the month. So that was, that was a really happy day. Wood distribution day. Since that time, um, I'm at the airport when these same families are coming right now. It just so happens to be that Camp Gehembe is sending their people to now, um, and they love it when I tell them about Camp Gehembe and how my pictures and that kind of thing. Um, 
But I look at them and I think, how are you going to do this? Knowing where you came from, seeing the way you lived, how are you going to figure this out? I just can't imagine. But then connecting them to a volunteer team like the school, um, they get it, they learn. And it just amazes me how um, savvy refugees are and how quickly they learn and how much they want to learn. Um, it's just, it's, it's so rewarding. This is a classroom, a school classroom. There are four people at each desk, which is about this long, and there's standing room only in the back. Um, it's a huge privilege to go to school here. So I like to show this picture to school kids saying, you know, you've got your own desk or your own space at a table. Would you come to school if it was standing room only? Um, it's just a, a great thing that they offer in this camp, not all camps. Their simple journey that we've discussed, they flee their country of origin to a neighboring country. In this case, it was Rwanda, and then they come here through the nine resettlement agencies. It's a little redundant. This is, um, or Congo is, in case you wonder. The conflict is mostly on the east side, and so people from the east side of Congo, they run east. And so most of the camps right now are in Uganda, Rwanda, and Tanzania. The people we're coming are coming directly from those three countries. This is another picture of the airport welcome because it was on Jackie's pictures. I don't dwell on this so much, but I always like to point out the bag, and Jackie saw the bag. He's always on the bag. Um, IOM, International Organization for Migration. I always like to point out the bag because, um, for one thing, if you're looking for a refugee, refugee family to come off the airplane, you know who it is because you'll see this bag. <laughs> um, one time I was at the airport, and I was with a church group that um, attacked a family that looked like they might be from the same country, um, grabbed their bags, tried to get their child, and it turns out not the family. That family was born and raised in Grand Rapids, um, so it was super embarrassing. And I couldn't stop them. There was nothing I could do to stop them. So now I make sure they look at this bag before they come to the airport and say, don't grab a child unless the parent's holding this bag. Um, and I also like to point it out too, if you ever are traveling and see this bag in an airport, know that that's a refugee family that just stepped foot in the United States, so run over and welcome them. I've had a chance to do that twice, Chicago and New York, and each time they grabbed me and hugged me because they couldn't believe I knew they were refugees and what they were doing. So I'd like to show the bag. Mm -hmm. If you have not seen the movie, A Good Lie, The Good Lie, with the Reese Witherspoon, it's from 2014, You'll see this bag in that movie, too. But know that the movie is not accurate. Much of what happens would not happen, cannot happen legally. Community groups, as Jeffy said, work alongside a family for six months. It's called a co-sponsorship. So Bethany is the sponsor of these families. Um, the church or the school is called a co-sponsor. Years ago, it used to be a church sponsored a family and had to do everything for the family. There was no agency that had case management employment services. The government in the Refugee Act um, re redesigned it so that agencies are the sponsor, but we are mandated to partner with an organization like a church or a school to be the co-sponsor, so we work together. Six months is ideal. That's how much they're in our services. With schools, I like to say three to six months um, because it, it would fit better. Um, so we can make a shorter time work. I was hoping there was a clock on this, but there's not. Oh, um, I'll tell you. 402. Yeah. Okay. Common needs. English, of course. That is um, a huge hurdle for volunteers. They're super uncomfortable 
if the family doesn't have any English. Thankfully, a lot of our clients, especially the older kids, whether they're teenagers or 20-somethings, have some English, so that's helpful. But talking someone into volunteering to a family without English is very difficult because it's uncomfortable to be in silence in people in our culture. Um, so that is a huge stretch for people. Um, and people will say, give us a family with some English, which is great, except that the ones without English, those ones that really need the help. Um, so it's kind of a, we're kind of torn there, but we get it, we understand that. Literacy skills, of course, transportation, child care, all these things are hurdles for them, but we um, are trained to get them over these hurdles and we work with the school or the church to do so. This is kind of the division of sponsor versus co-sponsor. You'll see on the left is sponsor, our agency, or wherever you live, there is an agency in your state that also does what we do. Um, I, I realize that not everyone is in a location where they could partner with a family that could live close to them. Um, I, we have worked with other entities at a distance, and there are different ways that you can do a lot of the things without being close. Um, there's a document on the CEA website that we call Sponsorship Light for those at a distance and different ways that you can help a refugee family even if you can't visit them often. Um, if you want to talk about that afterwards, I would love to help you brainstorm how to do that. Um, so we do all that at Bethany. We register, we get their social security card, um, DHHS registration, they have a bridge card, food stamps, Medicaid. Um, we have an employment team at Bethany that helps them find jobs, a healing center that, that with therapists that deal with post-traumatic stress, which of course a lot of families unfortunately have. And then the church or the school group does the things on the right, usually. Every case is different, um, so whatever the school is willing and able to do would take it. Um, but that's a list of possibilities that the school could do. Number The most important is friendship, I think, if you can, if you're close enough. But setting up the housing is huge as well, and that's probably the most fun for the kids at first, is collecting things and seeing it all come together. Community connections, even if you can only visit them occasionally, showing them around the community is huge because often um, they don't dare explore on their own. I like to tell a story, I had a client once that I visited, and um, it's a beautiful day, and I said, have you been outside enjoying this day? And, they said no, and there was something wrong I could tell, and through the interpreter learned that they were afraid of tigers. They didn't <laughs> want to walk around in their Grand Rapids neighborhood because they were afraid of being attacked by tigers. And I thought, well that, you know, I, as a case manager, you visit just once in a while. That's not, you know, the thing that, you, you don't bring that up often. Um, so I was able to tell through an interpreter, there are no tigers here. You may safely want, you know, wander your neighborhood, go to the park down the road. Um, and then I told that story at a church once, and someone raised their hand and said, I bet someone told them the Detroit Tigers were really bad that year. <laughs> and that they were afraid of them. <laughs> so I wonder, I would like to go back and say, were you, did someone tell you about the Detroit Tigers? No. Our, our family, I, we took the two little kids to Hager Park, oh, yeah. and they said in the woods, are there lions and tigers in these woods? They thought, so so they thought there were lions oh, and tigers. Wow. That just really amazed yeah. me at the questions they might have that if they don't have an American friend to ask, they have to wait 30 days to ask their caseworker if they think to ask. So anyway, that's a great community connections kind of thing. Education, budgeting things, if you're, if you're, you know, if it's a high school and you have people in accounting classes that can work with them on that, great. Otherwise, the caseworker fills in all the blanks. 
So whatever you have that your school can do or have expertise in those areas, great. Whatever you don't, our caseworker has to fill in those blanks because we're the sponsor. This is, there's some funding. Every refugee that arrives in our country gets a gift from our government, the amount of $975 per person. So a family of four gets that times four. One-time payment. Case manager spends it on their behalf, gives them some spending cash at every visit, uses it for the first couple months of rent, security deposit, that kind of thing. There's other means to fund them until um, a job is found. I won't get into that, but know that they're, they're there. But on the right, you'll see that their flight here is not a gift, it's a loan. They have to pay our government back for their airfare here. Um, excuse me, which seemed cruel when I first heard it, because I had just been at the airport my first day, I think, picked up a family that actually had no suitcase, no bags whatsoever, clothes on their back is it. And then I get back to my office and learn they have a loan. I just, I thought that was so cruel. I've since come around. I see that, um, for one thing, I'm just thankful that our government is allowing people to come. <coughs> Excuse me. Secondly, no refugee comes with a credit history. Every refugee wants an American dream someday. They all want their own home. Um, so this loan will give them that credit history. So it's actually a very good thing, and there's no interest, no payoff date. <coughs> if they would um, get laid off, for instance, there's a toll-free number on their bill they call, and it's forgiven that month as long as they call. So it's all about credit history. <coughs> there are actually allergies. I'm sick. <laughs> I'm scraping my walls for painters. It's <laughs> in my lung. Um, essential co-sponsor skills. You know, whether it's a student or an adult, a teacher, or whatever, these are the essential skills. I think a lot of them are the exact same skills that teachers have. Um, so that's why I think it's a, it's a logical partnership. Hospitality, flexibility, sense of humor, openness to other cultures, patience, and the ability to show the love of Christ to a family overwhelmed. Um, there's not a lot of opportunities to do all of that as a team of students, so I think that's that's a great way to, to use those skills. This is something I just created last week because I was brainstorming this, and this is what came to me. You know, what are the benefits to a school community? Um, one is to get students to think beyond their own community. So many, you know, myself included, you know what you know, and you know you don't think about people in other parts of the world. So um, really expands their view of the world. And then the second thing there is to realize the blessing it is to be born in a safe and comfortable environment. Um, I've learned quickly how much I've taken for granted, how much my kids took for granted. I would haul my kids to the airport with me so that they would learn this too. Um, and then the third thing there is appreciate the beauty of differences amongst God, among God's children in the different cultures of the world. Unless you're involved in something that's actually set up like this, you are not inviting the person next to you at the grocery store to your home to learn about their culture if they look different than you. Um, it's got to be kind of match made. Um, we're not good at just getting to know people. So in some ways I feel like a matchmaker, kind of making people get to know each other from different areas and then learning to appreciate the beauty of those differences. And the last thing I thought of is getting um, the school community to work together for a cause outside of the school. I think that's kind of a good thing, to not look inward all the time, but maybe 
something else. And I think you would maybe be um, partnered with people who think the same thing, have those priorities as well, people that you wouldn't normally know because those aren't the kind of people that are signing up to be room parents, for example. So I think it kind of brings together people in a unique way. Jackie might have more input on that. I had an intern a few years ago. I asked to give me a list of all the verses that um, applied to why we would help refugees. He came up with a list of 40. I was amazed that there were that many. This is a word from all of them. Of course, Matthew 25 is one of our favorite that Jackie's already talked about. Um, and that's my last slide. I know I just rushed right through it, but uh, I wanted to make sure Jackie had time to talk about curriculum, and then we'll answer questions if there are. Um, also, Deb on the website has a list of all the affiliate places if you don't live in the Grand Rapids area. Right, Deb? These are yep. places according yep. to where they Every live. Every state of, that's represented here has agencies like Bethany in those states. So whether they're you know close to your school or 50, 100 miles away, either way there's, a, um, there's an agency that you can work with. And if you want to work with them, and you call them, and they don't have great ideas, call me at my card here. Um, I used to work for the Christian Reformed Church and Reformed Church in America to connect their churches in other states with their local agency for resettlement. So I have all kinds of things to say to that agency about why they would want to work with the school. So let me help you if I can. Right. And then on the screen handout, I just had a few curriculum connections. Of course, there's geography. I teach language arts and social studies to sixth graders. So this was a really good um, connection for us. And we studied the Middle East um, in geography. And our family started in South Sudan and then fled to Egypt and then ended up living in Israel. And they actually lived in a very urban area in Tel Aviv. So it was different than those tent um, uh, setups. But talk about where people flee from, where they go to, the reasons, obviously, for migration. And the more you can find ways to tell their stories, so it's not just um, statistics. Uh, if you can find first-person accounts and diaries and um, have classroom visitors. Um, Jada and Josephine came uh, for the last few years and talked to my current sixth graders just from their perspective, which has been really cool. Uh, number three there, the persuasive writing to lawmakers. Uh, cause and effect writing in sixth grade, we do a whole cause and effect unit, and we do it around the refugee crisis. So a lot of those... I don't, I don't have, oh, I just, they have a hand up. Yeah. Um, uh, just that cause and effect, naturally using the social studies um, information worked really well. Uh, if you're doing teaching for transformation, definitely um, being a justice seeker. And informational reading, uh, I saw that the junior scholastics had um, in September an article on a, a refugee. And then if you use Newzella, um, I have like a 21 set, text set, with all refugee articles that we use for that cause and effect. And then I'm a language arts teacher at heart, so I have to put a plug in for a few books. Um, Trisha Keeper uh, helped me with the kindergarten to second grade uh, group there, and one book, about four down, is What is a Refugee? It just came out. Um, great little book, but if you don't want to spend the $17, she has a free printable that I link there, and um, there's a live link on the website um, that kind of sums up this book, which I'm going to use for my middle school kids, too. Um, sums it up, and she, can, she says teachers can use it for free. So I'm going to kind of use it as a poster. And then Four Feet, Two Sandals. 
Um, Deb, in that picture of the school, was it all boys? Do only the boys there go to school, or did they separate them? It was all boys. Because in this book, only the boys, there's only room for the boys in school, and the girls are outside in the window in listening in the, and writing their names in the dirt. And um, uh, it's a really good book, uh, giving the perspective of a refugee camp. thought that was really good. Um, there's grades three and up on the bottom, and then on the back there's some middle school books. I really like Refugee um, by Alan Grants. It's really good. It has three different um, perspectives, one from um, World War II with uh, Jews running from the Holocaust, uh, one from Cuba, and then one uh, Assyrian refugee family in current times. So it goes back and forth between those three different families, and they all come together at the end. It's really good. And then it's a big, the Syrian refugee crisis is just a big thing in, in publishing right now. There's a graphic novel called Unwanted, um, the stories of Syrian refugees, and then Escape from Syria, another kind of graphic novel. Um, I think you could do a really cool middle school or high school unit on the Syrian crisis and use you know, graphic novels. Um, at the very bottom there I have a high school a book. And then um, Melissa Fleming, who is the spokesperson for the United Nations High Commission for Refugees. I found a TED talk she did, and um, it was on the Syrian crisis. And it's five years later, but what she talked about um, was really ap applicable to now. And she was the author of um, this book, A Hope more powerful than the sea. So there's a few curriculum connections, and I know Deb and I threw a lot at you, and if you got to sneak out early to, to head out to meet someone, that is okay for us. But if you have questions, we would be happy to answer some questions about sponsoring or, or what your school could do. Did you find it was overwhelming as a teacher and hearing this girl saying it, and then from the starting process all the way to, kind of, I don't know if you're maybe done or you're still connected, um, just as a teacher yourself, personally, taking on this big responsibility. Like, <coughs> do you feel like... Like it was manageable? Dual? Right, right. I, I don't, my kids are grown up and I don't have grandkids, so I did spend quite a bit of time outside of the classroom. So finding it, that could be done by parents. <laughs> there were parents that helped out um, and if we couldn't do it, we would just tell Bethany, hey, we can't provide transportation to the doctor's appointment next Wednesday. And you have that backup of the agency that will say, oh, we'll get a volunteer to do that. So it's kind of what you have time for um, works in. But in the summer, you know, then I, I was at their house. They almost became like a second family to me. And that's what's so cool to me. I get a little teary sometimes that a sixth grader helped my faith development. Because that sixth grader listened to God and said, we need to help these, these refugee families. And, and that family is just like dear to me. And I got my church to do it too. <laughs> my church sponsored a family two years ago. So they're my third family. <laughs> yeah. But it, yeah, it was a lot of, it was a lot of work. But so rewarding. Well, right. I mean, that, that Brady going through the rest of her life knowing, right. I heard God. That was the Holy Spirit. And I listened. And right. look what happened. Look how God could yeah. use me. Yeah. We've had refugees at our church um, from Brookfield. And, yeah, and so, um, there was another, and I live in Tosa, Wisconsin. So um, they, a bunch of Congolese have come mm -hmm. um, through 
the Congo and then Tanzania, Tanzania and Right. It's just interesting in this process. Right. And the whole geography lesson, it brings geography alive yeah. rather than just learning, <laughs> memorizing maps. You, well, they live there and then they walked here and then they crossed this border. And then yeah. I, I learned that they even watch the news differently because they know somebody from that region now and they care more when the news is yeah. on. Yeah. It used to just kind of go like that. Now I'll say, hey, that's where they're from. Yeah, it's my hope that those sixth graders that I had that year, for the rest of their life, whenever they hear refugee or migrant, they're going to think of that family and know that everybody has a story. And everybody, uh, it's not just a statistic. It's, it's a story you need to get to know. Um, good question, though. Deb, I have a question for you. I'm at Dutton Christian School near Grand Rapids there. Are there any Christian schools in Grand Rapids or in the area that have sponsored a family and had a refugee student at the school? Oh, good question. Um, yeah. Most often when that happens, very few schools have done it because it's kind of a newer idea. I mean, it's yeah. being kind of a church thing. It's the church's mission usually, you know, so that's our go-to um, audience, I guess. So schools, you know, fewer have done it. Um, this was a great, you know, pilot program here. Um, we had a high school do it once, and their um, student council just had a heart for it, and they led the efforts. We had another elementary school do it where the parents more led the efforts, and there wasn't a ton of backing from the staff. You know, so in this case, it was, you know, everything worked together. There were students, parents, and staff that were all on the same page. Getting that same page is a little difficult. Um, but yeah, more often, if a church co-sponsors a family, and the church um, supports or sends, helps them send them to the Christian school in their neighborhood, that happens more often. So this just hasn't happened enough to maybe make that work. But I do know refugee families send their kids to Christian schools because of the support of the church. That was their co-sponsor. But we'd love to see that happen. We'd love to see that happen. Definitely. And that would make the experience so rich. Oh, if yeah. you could yeah. sponsor a family yeah. and have them attend. Your, that long-term relationship that you would oh, have. I know. To watch right. the growth. Yeah. You know, we're, we're so close to Kentwood. I mean, yeah. there's so many refugees that are so close to the school. It just... Yeah. Yep, that would yeah. be ideal. We've worked with churches in your area, definitely. So, um, yeah, that would be a great fit. Great. But we, we wanted to put them on the bus line, and that, that's not on the bus line, but it goes, what, to 68, I think, is the bus route? Yeah, we're on 68. Are you? Okay, so it's real close. Yeah. Well, that, that could work. It could work. We get real creative yeah. when there's some interest. We want to make it work, because we know if that's, you know, where God is leading, that's where we have to make, make work, so. Thanks for that. Anything else? Otherwise, you're welcome to come talk to us. I think I'm supposed to close in prayer because it's our last session. Can I come pray over you, Beth? Yeah, sure. Let's close in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, uh, we come before you at the end of our first day at the convention, Lord, and we just uh, praise you for being a God who cares about the refugee. Um, Lord, help us to have hearts to help people. And uh, I just thank you for the opportunity our, we, our school had. And I pray for Flora and Bruno and Jado and Josephine and Kamal and by name today. And I just pray that you are um, present in their lives, that they can see you continuing to direct their lives um, as they go throughout their day. I pray for Bethany Christian Services and the other agencies that help. Uh, pray for their funding, pray for their uh, leadership and their organization. And 
them. Lord, I just pray that, that more churches and more schools will step up to, to build relationships with people, to welcome them to our communities. And uh, Lord, we just ask for safety now as some of us will be driving um, and just help us to have a good rest of the evening.